sauce, pass, 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 pass the poutine. This is the poutine. Fries, cheese curds, and chicken gravy. This is the poutine. Hi everyone, it is your host Nina from Pass the Poutine Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Please introduce yourself. Hi, my name is Koi. I um, live in Vancouver all my life. So I wanted to talk a little bit about your backstory because you did grow, uh, you were born in Vietnam, but you moved to Canada when you were very young. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, born in Vietnam. And then when my mom was pregnant with me, my dad figured, okay, I have a wife. I have a baby on the way. It's um, post-war there's not a lot of opportunities here, so I got to give I got to give them better. Mm-hmm. And being the risk taker that he is, um, Vietnamese. <laughs> yep, being the risk taker that he is, like, oh, okay, hey, this guy here says um, he, uh, for the price of three strips of gold, he can get me on a boat out of here. Oh my god! So he uh, he paid the three strips of gold. And How many strips did he have left? Do you know? I think that was the whole thing. <laughs> now okay. the, the thing is, he didn't tell my mom he was doing this. Oh. So that was a problem. Um, so my mom thought her newlywed husband of, oh, less than two years abandoned her right as she got, right while she's pregnant. Oh, the, the nightmare. Oh, yes, yes. So for, um, it was a rough, it was a, it was a rough time for my mom. Um, my dad... My dad's um, boat was so one, my dad was one of the boat people, and his story. I was um, very surprised by how different his story was from everybody else. Because when I hear stories of the boat people, I'm hearing of you know being on the open ocean for a whole month, people dying on board, and once they're dead, their corpses get tossed overboard, and people see the sharks go at it right away. Mm-hmm. I'm hearing stories of um, boats not being seaworthy. I'm hearing stories of running into pirates, and the pirates will board the boat um, with the intention uh, with. I'm assuming the primary intention of robbing everyone, which they do try to do. That they, has happened to my family. Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Wow. That, that's yeah. intense. And they would, um, well, they'll rob you. And if you put up any resistance, they will kill you and they will rape the women on board. Yeah. Um, and they actually would shave the heads of young girls so they would look like boys so the they'd be less likely to be raped. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've heard those tales as well. Mm-hmm. And so I've heard all those tales. And then I'm like, Dad, you made it to a refugee camp in Malaysia in three days. Why is your story so different from all the other stories I hear? And he said, well, we had three things in our favor. One, the captain knew where he was going, so we didn't get lost. Uh, Two, we didn't run out of fuel. Uh, Three, we didn't run to any pirates. I guess you can say four, the ship was seaworthy. So he he was on the right boat. (laughs) Yeah, he had all those things lined up in his favor. Um, It it was still, but the things he had no idea ahead of time that it would it would go that relatively smoothly. I heard him talk about how, you know, when we saw, when we first saw birds, like we were just immensely overjoyed. And being a kid at the time, not understanding the significance of that, I'm like, what's so important about seeing birds? And Mm -hmm. he said, if you see birds, that means you're near land. And Mm -hmm. then I got like, oh, I see. Uh, Yeah, so he made to a Malaysian refugee camp. And at the time, uh, the Vietnamese uh, boat person um, uh, phenomenon was uh, an international humanitarian crisis. So a bunch of Western nations were taking in various quotas of Vietnamese refugees. Yep. Australia would only take in families. My dad was by himself. Oh. So he didn't end up in Australia. Now Canada, being Canada under a liberal yeah. government, they mm-hmm. were taking in anybody. So they took, they took my dad. Mm-hmm. He ended up um, in, well the government settled him in a small t- fishing resort town called Campbell River on Vancouver Island. It's between Victoria and Nanaimo, I think, or is it north of Nanaimo? I forgot. <laughs> oh my God, I've been there. I was there a few years ago and I can't remember now. 
And uh, my dad worked at, um, he was a dishwasher at the April Point Fishing Resort. Apparently, it's still up and running. Uh, Shout out. Yep, yep. <laughs> they, they have a website. I'm like, well, it looks pretty nice. And in the off-season, he worked in the fish packing plant. And with the help of a local church, he sponsored my mom and I over. Uh, oh, so I guess he once he got to Cam River, he contacted uh, my mom. And So how long had it been since they had contact? Oh, I forgot. Because um, imagine, like, being a pregnant woman, your, like, husband bounces, and you're like, where is this dude? And then, like, a year later, you get a message like, hey, what's up? It was, you know? it was at least a few months. Okay, with, like, just no contact. With no contact. Holy crap. Yeah. So man. my mom thought she was abandoned, and it was a very stressful time for her because, like, I remember her saying of how I got pretty deathly sick uh, at least once or twice during that time. It's Again, it's post-war Vietnam, so there's, um, like, even though there, like, I remember my mom said to me as, as a kid, she says, you don't know suffering until you're in a situation where you have money, you ha- you're starving, you're so hungry that you can barely stand up without bracing yourself against the tree, you have money on you, but there's no food to buy. Mm-hmm. And apparently at the time, the only milk that was available to buy for me, the baby, uh, she said it was like so old that it was black, uh, oh, which, which I can't imagine. I've never seen milk. That's black. That's black. Yeah. Um, yeah. So she, um, so my dad got in touch with her, uh, filled her in on what had happened and what he's trying to do. And all I know is that um, with the help of a church, my, my dad was able to sponsor my mom and I over. Mm-hmm. So we got here by plane. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, as far as refugee goes, I I was pretty spoiled in in that regard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know what that's like. Like, cause my family, they were they have the same refugee story, except it was uh, all the bad things that you were saying before you were telling your dad's refugee story, which was like thirty days on a boat, being attacked by pirates, um, things like that. But yeah, I'm the spoiled brat that was born in Canada. But but I like to piggyback on their like super sad story, you know, <laughs> get some sympathy from some people. You were saying how uh, you grew up in Vancouver um, as an only child. Yeah, yeah, so um, let's see. We lived in Canberra for a few months and then my dad did the uh, classic immigrant thing of relocating the family to a large coastal metropolitan city, which in this case was Vancouver. Mm -hmm. So we moved right to the Mount Pleasant neighborhood of Vancouver, uh, funny enough, a few blocks from where I work now, long before that neighborhood got gentrified and all the hipsters ruined it. Oh my Um, gosh. It was a very different neighborhood back then. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, I was an only child and uh, I've always, always hated being an only child. And at different stages of my life, I've got to find different reasons for it to suck. Can you explain? What do you mean? Well, as as a kid, I wasn't just an only child. I was not just the only kid in on the block, but I was the only kid in the whole entire neighborhood. Oh. So, yeah, I lived in Mount Pleasant. I lived um, on one side of Kingsway. And every single kid who went to my elementary school lived on the other side of Kingsway. Oh, no. <laughs> and Kingsway being like a massive street, it's, you know, it's parents aren't keen on, you know, you um, playing beyond beyond that street. Right, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I was the only kid. So I spent a lot of time alone as, a, as an only growing up as an only child, which meant I became very good at entertaining myself, which and it meant I spent a lot of time with my own thoughts, just... Becoming, like, very neurotic and anxious? No, I think (laughs) just really thinking and analyzing and just just thinking, yeah, and 
maybe a good imagination. I don't know. <laughs> so you're saying how like your childhood was quite atypical from like maybe other Asian Canadians or Americans, and that's because Vancouver is quite an Asian heavy place. More than that, yeah. So I, in hindsight, I realized how very lucky I was to have this kind of Asian Canadian childhood. So what I mean by so t- atypical is that. I hear a lot of other stories of Asians who grew up in the Western world, whether it be Canada, United States, Australia, New Zealand, you know, France, wherever. And there's the common themes that pop up: the racism, the prejudice, the stereotypes, the bring, uh, you know, bring your lunch to school, opening up for lunch, and everyone being, "Ew, gross! What's that? Or right. that's so smelly." Yeah. Um, or, or the like the. Um, the quasi low key racist ignorance and racist questions like how can you see with your with those eyes and mm-hmm. all sorts of things like that i never had any of that because um where i grew up it was so asian dominant my elementary school at the time was not just so overwhelmingly asian but so overwhelmingly refugee as well um oh. well, actually even before elementary school so um going to the preschool in my neighborhood i in hindsight i am extremely grateful for the women who worked there they were very um, forward thinking and on the ball in terms of world events. So they, the kids were primarily immigrants and refugees and the diversity was through the roof. Mm-hmm. So from the very, and as a kid, this is, this is your norm. So when everyone's different, nobody's different, right? That's right. And yeah. the women were really good at teaching about, you know, how, you know, they didn't straight up say everyone is different. They straight up they didn't make it like in your face like that. They just taught lessons like, oh, you know, some people have black hair, some people have brown hair, some people have red hairs, some people have blonde hair, and some people like Joshua have white hair. And it would be like a good decade later before I even learned what um, albinoism is. Mm-hmm. It, at the time it was just, oh yeah, you know, he's just another kid. He happens to have white hair. It was just another part of human difference. So it was a great way of having kids understand difference without, without overemphasizing difference to the point where it becomes, it, it was a total non-issue, right? So we understood that people were different in terms of like hair color and eye color and skin tones to the point where it was, it was normal. Like there was nothing out of the ordinary about it. Right. There's, Diversity was normal. Yeah. There was nothing out of the ordinary that every kid's parents, when they came to pick them up, spoke a different language. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, and there, that some, some kids um, had parents that were of different ethnicities and different races. That was, there was nothing out of the ordinary about that. It was all normal. And then, uh, so in hindsight, I'm extremely grateful to the women of, oh, I guess I'll give them a shout out too, the We Care Daycare in the basement of the 10th Avenue Alliance Church. Nice. Still up and running. Awesome. You know, I work one block away um, <laughs> of, you know, for being so forward thinking and just like really setting us a, a good foundation for myself and my peers of um, living amongst people, uh, living in harmony with people who are just completely different. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like a lot of people don't kind of get that privilege, right? To to be around diversity and to be, I guess, like cultured for yeah. another word. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I remember just like um, as a kid, like um, thinking that, uh, okay, boys have short hair, girls have long hair. And it would be an embarrassingly uh, long few years before I realized that, no, that's not a trait of sex or gender. It's simply just a style because I learned, because I remember being in um, another preschool later on. And, you know, seeing um, a boy who was First Nations um, and thinking because his hair was in two long braids, Mm -hmm. um, being confused. Um, And I was asked, why does Geronimo have uh, long hair? He's a boy. That's a great name. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, that was literally his name. Yeah. And you know what? Um, knowing the story of Geronimo, you know, like, hey, major respect to the parents for naming their boy after a, uh, after a, a, a fighter, after a warrior <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, and just being told that, oh, Geron- Geronimo is an Indian, because at the time, Indian would have been the term used. Um, it would be a few for First Nations, maybe two, three for First Nations really caught on. And being like, oh, okay, so realizing that, oh, different uh, different people from different cultures do things differently. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, and then in kindergarten, so the makeup of the elementary school I went to, um, Florence Nightingale Elementary School, it was predominantly uh, refugees. So uh, Vietnamese, Cambodian, Filipino, a lot of South Asian, um, and and a few white kids. But um, pretty much non-white kids were were the majority. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then I went to Tupper. Um, and shout I, out to Tupper. Shout that's, out to Tupper. That's a dangerous school. At the time, it has a reputation. It has a reputation. Yeah, Today, yeah. it is all like sunshine and puppies and rainbows. <laughs> but at the time, it definitely had a reputation. Yeah. And at the time, it was predominantly uh, East Asian, Southeast Asian, uh, S- South Asian, so brown. And yeah, that was the predominant. <laughs> yeah, full so, stop. So to give you an idea, like my graduating class of 180 uh, from Tupper had um, 12 white girls and six white guys. That's it? That's it, out of 180, so 10% white. Oh my gosh. So something to understand is growing up in this environment in elementary school and in high school, what I was really, um, I guess you can say blessed to experience that a lot of other Asians grew up in the West didn't experience is that as Asian Canadians or as Asians, we were the dominant social group. We were the cool kids. Yeah. Um, like, like the cool girls wanted to date like oh, the Asian guys? In high school, all the hottest girls, regardless <laughs> of what their race or ethnicity was, right. were thirsty for the Asian guys. Oh, my gosh. You, know, like, you heard it here first. Yeah. And I, I would hear them I would hear them talk about this guy and that guy and, and that guy and the dream they had and, and so on. Oh, my goodness. Um, and it was... Yeah, in hindsight, it was a great way to grow up because, like, for me, um, I definitely didn't have a lot of success dating in high school, and it, I always knew it had nothing. Like, it, it had nothing to do with the fact that I was Vietnamese or Asian. Mm-hmm. The thought didn't even enter my mind. It had everything to do with things that were all me, right? Like, not because of you know who my parents are, where I was born, who or my ancestors are. But it was all because of me. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I wasn't putting myself out there. I was right. stupidly shy. I had right. a low self-esteem. Yeah. I wasn't I was ex- lacking in confidence big time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it meant that I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm like, hmm, not not um, having as much success with the ladies as my friend Bobby here who's like a chick magnet, but that's <laughs> but that's because of me. You right, know? right. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome that like it didn't like you having trouble dating in high school didn't have to do with your race. Because I know like nowadays a lot of Asian men feel that way. Yeah, it it was a great experience. And just like being the cool kids, being the dominant social group. And like to give you an idea, it's like, for example, um, like like, it it was funny. After I left high school and went to college, you know, in, in the suburbs, not even that far away. And I would meet other Asian Canadians who grew up in the suburbs. And after a very short period of time, my reaction or my impression of them, or a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them was like, holy shit, you, you guys are kind of fucked up. It's like you took all these racist stereotypes um, and bullshit. Um, Excuses. You know, just bullshit about Asians and you internalize them. 
Like you believe them Mm -hmm. and you internalize them. And that is so fucked up. Um, And I remember even just having to explain to one of them uh, about how my high school experience was so different. And I was like, and I'm like, yeah, man, like the Asian guy, like we were part of the cool kids. Like the girls wanted to get with the Asian guys. And she couldn't, she could not even comprehend that at all. And I remember having to like spell it out for her. I'm like, okay, look, imagine you're a girl in high school. Which guy do you want to date? Do you want to date the white guy who's walking around, not very confident, trying to be invisible, like kind of making himself look small because he's afraid of, you know, getting his ass kicked, with the exception of one or two of the token white guys who are part of the, the cool Asian kids? Or do you want to date the Asian guy who's walking around like he owns some other fucking place? Right. It, it's pretty obvious which, which guy you're going to go Regardless for. Regardless of race, it's the confidence. Exactly. Like yeah. confidence is sexy. Is everything. And yeah. at my high school, for the time I was there, it, with one or two exceptions, it wasn't the white guys who were confident. Mm-hmm. So crazy. That's yeah. crazy for me to hear. Yeah. So I, I remember like it after leaving high school and entering the quote unquote, I guess the real world, at least being in college and learning about how learning about the place of people of Asian descent in the Western world. It was a very it was a very rude awakening. It was a wake up call. Which was funny because I had a hint of it years earlier, like in high school. I, I saw this article um, in Time magazine, and it had a photo of a bunch of um, Asian American athletes. I think they were soccer players or something, and they were posing completely naked. But they had a giant American flag which they were holding, and of course, it, everything was st- strategically placed at so that the photo could be published in a mainstream magazine. Right. You know, and they all had, you know, like they were all like ripped, like six pack, and so on. Mm-hmm. And like to me, this was nothing out of the ordinary. At all, and I was just reading, and like the the, the tagline was, um, you know, um, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was saying the what the write up was in order to destroy the stereotype or to fight the stereotypes of Asian men as nerdy, and again, this is before nerds were cool, nerdy, <laughs> um, asexual wimps. Um, these uh, Asian American athletes are posing, um, showing their masculinity with the American flag, and my first reaction to that section was, what nerdy wimps? You know, like, like asexual. What are, what are they talking about? What are you talking about? Yeah. I, I just laughed it off because it was so far from my reality and so far from everything I had known mm-hmm. that I'm like, yeah, th- this is dumb, whatever. And then the 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 end, the next part of the article it ended with they they did take heat for um they were uh for um disrespecting the flag like that, and I was like, oh bull fucking shit. These were a bunch of white guys, you know, uh, posing naked with the flag. Everything would have uh, been okay, but because no, these guys are non-white, yeah. um, they're taking heat uh, for being for disrespecting the flag. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, so um, that should have been like my first inkling at hey, Koi, um, the reality, uh, your reality is not what you think it is. This is just a bubble, um, an, an insulated, protected bubble you're in right now. Once you're in the real world, um, things look a little different. Things are different, and yeah. I yeah, I would find that out. You know, like you know, after leaving high school and going to college in, in the burbs. And meeting uh, Asians from all over, and yeah, it, it kind of like I'm like, oh fuck, this sucks. Uh, I remember at the time, like, okay, so as because I'm Asian, I am viewed as, and like all the stereotypes that come with it, like uh, the least desirable, nerdy, no social skills, no confidence, mm-hmm. no, um, not a leader, no creativity, a worker bee, a feminine drone. even, oh, effeminate, yeah, yeah asexual, yeah. like the least desirable guy to date, yeah. Um, Oh, um, perpetual foreigner, mm-hmm. um, oriental. Yeah, like, like do you even speak English? Right, right. Kind of thing. And it's funny at the time, what got to me the most was 
wasn't even the 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 ways in which Asian Asian masculinity is like shit on and it, like that didn't even bother me at the time because I I wasn't even at the time I just wasn't that focused on that. What got what really hit me hard and kind of put me into depression for a while was the idea that I am not Canadian, right? And I was like. Wait, wait, how old were you when you... I was 19, 20. Oh, damn, okay. Yeah, and I was like, not Canadian. It's like, I've been, I've been living here since in Canada since I was two. Yeah. Like, I grew up in East Vancouver, and I, I sometimes I would play road hockey on the residential streets of East Vancouver. Like, can, Canada's all you know. Yeah, uh, Canada's all I know. I have no memories of Vietnam. Like, I speak flaw, near flawless, unaccented English, <laughs> you know. True facts. I... Yeah have volunteered um, in provincial elections and um, you know I, as soon as as soon as I'm old enough to vote I'm, I'm gonna vote mm-hmm. and it's like how am I not Canadian and it's like I, I, just like the reality of it doesn't matter how Canadian you are or that Canadian is all you know Asian Canadian is all you know it doesn't matter that you know you do all of, like everything that people would think of as Canadian like describes, you know, almost all of it describes you. Mm-hmm. But people will just look at me, look at look at me, what? or see my name because my no right. part of my name is English, right? And immediately write me off as not Canadian. Yep. You know, and totally. yeah, that was that was a hard hitting reality for me at the time. Like it, it, I remember it made me depressed for quite a while. Like, yeah. was it when you? So you came to the realization that, like. You were well. You are Canadian, but like the world didn't see you as Canadian uh, when you were in your late teens or like early twenties. Yeah, was it because of the media, or was it when you were started applying for jobs and people were like, "Oh, it was just mostly media." So um, at the time, I I was already working as a private tutor, and I was in the Vietnamese Canadian community. So it mm-hmm. wasn't. It, it was a very. Um, it was a job that didn't really expose me to a lot of people. It's just, uh, you know, meet the parents, meet the kids, tutor them kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But it was mostly media and just being uh, suddenly very hyper aware of, um, of, you know, like, hey, growing up, I saw pr- virtually zero faces that looked like me mm-hmm. and not realizing what a big deal it was. Um, like, oh, God, I remember this. Is so at, um, in my early 20s, like, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire became a thing. It became really popular. Such a great show. Shout yeah. out. Yeah. And I remember one day an episode where there's this Asian-American guy. And I was so excited. <laughs> I ran over to my dad. like, Dad, there's an Asian guy on TV. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and, and we showed him. And and unfortunately, yeah, um, it wasn't a good. Um, that guy didn't make it far? Did he f- well, it gets really bad. Oh, no. So, okay. So the very first question. Oh, no. Was. Um, which one, uh, like, you know, which one is his right answer? And it's duck, duck, blank. And for oh, me, I knew no. it right away. I'm like, it's duck, duck, goose. It's the game we played in in preschool and, element, and kindergarten. Yeah, when, yeah. when you want to, you know, it's a game we play. I'm like, and he had no idea. He had what? no idea. He didn't pick any of the lifelines. He, and he got the wrong answer. So he was eliminated oh, on the, the first, first one. Question. Oh, and I was just no. so embarrassed because not only did he get eliminated, but he got eliminated for just for being it, it, um, very... For not understanding the cultural references. Yes. So it was, I'm like, okay, it's bad enough that we're seen as, you know, un-American, un-Canadian, perpetual foreigner. And but this guy... Here's a confirmation of all of that. Inadvertently had to go on, you know, American-Canadian yeah. TV. Oh, no. And just kind of like affirm that stereotype totally. and even my dad straight up said 
like my jaw dropped and my dad's like this guy doesn't know uh, th- this guy this guy's simply not Americanized he simply doesn't know the culture which I guess oh I just realized apparently my dad knows that game oh never occurred to me wait so the, the Asian American guy on that show was he like American like did he speak English with an accent no or? accent no so he was like uh, he's American and he didn't know. You know what? I'm convinced that that guy was an actor Maybe. put on the show to make Asians look bad because there's no way he's American and he doesn't know Duck Duck Goose. Like that's I have obscene. no idea. I have no idea. But yeah. you know what? Since you brought that up, um, American Idol became big mm. in in those years. Classic. And, oh God, um, William Hung. My favorite. Oh, <laughs> like for years, I remember there were so many Asian American Asian guys who were so pissed. At, that that <laughs> happened. I remember being in Asian Canadian Studies at SFU, <laughs> my university, yeah. and that came up. Um, and it was like, okay, so William, like, I don't get the impression that he intended to go on international TV um, and be uh, and be like horrible representation. Like, from what I can tell, he was sincere in everything uh, he did, but. Maybe like the worst you can say is he w- lacked awareness of how Asians, especially Asian guys, are perceived of and portrayed in media, mm-hmm. and he lacked maybe the self awareness or the situational awareness to assess, hey, is my going on this show um, going to be a good thing? You know, maybe he genuinely thought he was a good singer, but either way, he he took he took the criticism well. Um, mm-hmm. But he he just came on at the wrong time. Came on the wrong time, but yeah, there weren't enough Asians at the time. But I remember just being so pissed, thinking, like, you know what? This was a producer in intentionally doing this for, I'm guessing, like, they're home for, for ratings. Totally. Like, this is a show, like, um, up front, it's a show supposed to be about finding sing- singing talent. The reality is it's a reality TV show, which means they're going to put in some really, really uh, poor candidates for the sake of people talking about it, which brings ratings. You know, totally. and yep. okay, you're gonna do that. I get it. They did it with pl- like there were plenty of really awful white singers. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, w- like one of the great things about white, one of the many great things about white privilege is that <laughs> your media portrayals and cultural um, representation is comprehensive. You are portrayed as everything, everything. as the full yeah. spectrum of humanity, which means no one thing sticks to you. Whereas yeah. every single minority out there... Like the one Asian guy every five months on TV. Yeah. yeah. Every <laughs> single minority out there, whether they're Asian or black or brown or Hispanic or, or anything, or even maybe like a, a, a religious minority like Muslim, know that you know every person uh, from your group who gets, who gets into the media becomes the sole representative <laughs> of every... of all of you. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah, like for example, like... Like, it doesn't matter that 20 white guys do a, a shooting spree. You know, white guys don't get stereotyped um, as mass shooters. Um, like, I have yet to hear a white guy encounter a cop and be like, and be afraid that, oh, no, is he, is he think I'm going to commit a shooting? Right. Um, right. But as soon as, um, oh, I forgot his name, that the Virginia Tech guy, his last name was, so his surname was he, Cho. He's a Korean guy. Yeah, he's yeah. Korean American. Yeah. Like, as soon as he did that, I was like, fuck. <laughs> One Asian American guy does it, and then a bunch of you know Asian guys on campus for a few weeks have to walk on eggshells, totally, and, and not be and not show anger. Exactly, because you know? any like any movement they make, people will be like, "Well, he's gonna pull out a gun or something," yeah. right? Damn, yeah. man, that's crazy. But yeah, so like seeing like getting hit with that reality, um, like on one hand it's like okay, this sucks, but on the other hand, 
I grew up with a much better experience. So I grew up having much more than a taste of how things could be. And now right. that I don't have any more, it's like, I want that back. Oh, you know, okay. You know, so I've been very into, and also like I've, for me, I believe a, a very, very, um, and I know some people disagree with me on this, a very, very major component of, or a very influential component uh, that could affect um, how Asians are seen worldwide is media representation. Definitely. Right? Yeah. Because, I th um, like, and, and there's several reasons why I think this. I, I remember, like, I was thinking about, you know what? Think of what media is. Media is the modern day version of stories. If you rewind the humanities clock back towards before electricity, even, or heck, even before the, the printed word, you know, oral tradition, stories were how a culture spread and was transmitted and, and reproduced. That's how a culture survived from one generation to the next. And think of how important that is. Like what do stories do? Like they impart values. They tell people um, what do we value? What do we desire? Mm -hmm. um, what do we view as good? What do we view as bad? Mm -hmm. You know, um, and even more specific things like, you know, what, what are the traits of a good man? What are the traits of a good woman? What are the traits of a good father, a good mother, a good brother, a good friend? What does that person look like? Mm -hmm. You know, um, what does that person sound like? All these things um, are how cultures and values and beliefs are transmitted. And it's powerful. Like, this is a part of how we evolved as humans. Um, and, and today, like, it's gone beyond just oral stories. It's, writ it's printed stories. It's visual media. Like, so me, uh, movies, music video, m videos, music, um, I guess now memes. Totally, you know? memes. <laughs> and I thought of like, wow, like the representation of Asians in TV and movies and pop culture in the, the 90s and the 2000s were just horrific. Um, and a, a, Long Duck Dong, you didn't like him? <laughs> oh, God, no. <laughs> Um, and that was even before my, before my, kind of before my time too. Oh, I was around, but I wasn't really consuming that kind of media at the mm -hmm. time. And I guess my, my first clue should have been um, just like, um, there was a woman in one of my social circles when, uh, um, at the time, uh, she was, she's white and you know, all the guys she's ever been with, uh, were, uh, were, were Asian. Asian. <gasps> were Asian. No way. I, I need to get her on the podcast. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I, I think she's in the States. Oh, okay, I don't know. Okay. Like the, the, the group that we, it was, this was on an online message board and that group mm -hmm. is long gone. Like it was, uh, it, it was, um, yeah, that group is long gone. The website's long gone too. And, um, and her friends um, pointed out to her that, oh, all your, all the guys you have are white. Like, do you, I mean, all the guys you're, you're with are Asian. Like, do you have a thing for Asian guys? And she's like, you know, I'm not sure I do, but, uh, I, but yeah, all the guys I've been with are Asian. I'm, I definitely have, I definitely am in, I definitely find Asian guys sexy. And, and I guess she thought about it for a while and she said, you know what? I think, I think maybe the reason for that is like growing up, my big brother, um, idolized Bruce Lee. Like he loved watching <laughs> Bruce Lee movies. Yeah. You know, and he had a poster of Bruce Lee in his bedroom. And I spent a lot of time in his bedroom just uh, looking at, staring at that poster, admiring Bruce Lee's physique. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, wow, <laughs> that was one guy, one poster. Right. And it had that kind of effect. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, I'm like, what would it have been like if, you know, there were as many Asian guys in media as there are white guys and heck, or even as there are black guys. Right, right, yeah. totally. Let's talk about, I can talk about how media, um, 
um, media affects, um, portrayals affects what one, one's dating. So I can use myself as an example. Um, in my elementary school and my high school, there were almost there was almost no one who was black. Like my best friend in kindergarten was black and a close friend in third grade was black. Um, but there were no, virtually no black girls in my elementary school and virtually no black girls in my high school. There were a few white girls at my elementary school and I didn't view any of them as attractive, except, mind you, one of them, many, many years later, I would realize, oh, she was attractive all along. I never noticed because we, I'd known her since kindergarten, so I never ever saw her that way. Oh, okay, I got right? you, got and you. And there were plenty of South Asian girls. Um, and and I didn't view any of them as, a, 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 I didn't view any of them as attractive um, either, just because, just solely because just the ones I was around. Uh, mm-hmm. In my college years, I would, so th- this is, this is where I'm getting uh, going with this. In elementary school and in high school, um, I found Asian girls attractive because there were s- plenty of Asian girls around me who were attractive. Um, I thought of white girls as attractive, even though none of the white girls around me I found attractive. And and keep and just oh. re- remember that point. I thought of black girls, black women as very attractive even though <laughs> I was around almost no black girls and of the ones I was around I didn't find any of them attractive so think about it if none of the white girls around me I found attractive and none of the black girls around me I found attractive why did I think of black you know black women and white women as attractive and it was because media right like like the um, the, the singers the pop stars the actresses like, I remember being like being in class one uh, one day in high school and learning that, you know, like um, uh, R&B singer Toni Braxton, her first... Who, Classic! Yeah. Love her. Oh, yeah. Uh, like who, her first... Um, the, the first career she wanted before she was a singer was to be a school teacher. And I brought up with, like, the guys. And we were all like, oh, man. I never would have skipped her class. <laughs> we, were like, we were like, oh, man. Can you imagine how... What like be to have her? She's like, Miss Braxton, can you, can you come here and help me with this <laughs> question? I don't understand. Yeah. Oh, my God. You know. Oh, which reminds me. Actually, you know what? In elementary school, there was one day we had a substitute teacher. Oh, yeah, white woman. And like, um, I remember like walking into class, and like one of um, one of the guys saying, uh, "Hey, Koi, um, heads up, you're getting the sub today that we had yesterday. She is a babe, <laughs> you know." And, and she was. She was mm-hmm. gorgeous, and all the guys noticed, mm-hmm. and all the girls noticed that the guys. That they suddenly became invisible to all the guys. Love it. Yep. Um, I remember one of them was really unhappy about that. Oh no! Yeah. Was she one of the hot girls that was unhappy? It's yeah. always yeah. like that, right? Yeah. yeah, she yeah was. Duh. Yeah. She uh-huh. was. She was. Um, oh yeah, yeah. We were, and we were, we were a room full of like eleven-year-old boys. So <laughs> it was pretty obvious we found her attractive. Mm-hmm. Like we even straight up asked, like you know, Miss, I can't remember her name, embarrassingly yeah. enough. Like, Mrs., are you married? And she like, and she kind of like had a, a smile on her face, and maybe she might have blushed a little bit. I don't yeah. remember, but she's like, well, my my name is Mrs. So what does that tell you? You know, I think we might have said, aww, aww, you know, cute, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's going to show you, you know, how media is has a power can have a very powerful role in who you view as attractive, right? And you, ultimately, who you date. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And, and start a life with. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it was. Um, it was like you know after after high school into college, um, and then meeting just a lot more people, um, and you know saying, oh wow, there's there's beautiful women in every 
you know, every ethnicity, every race. It's just that I just didn't encounter them until my my social circles got expanded. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so yay college and university for that. Yeah, shout out to higher education. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so like, so media, I thought is like so powerful. Like, you know, like I'm really, I really, really want better representation of Asians in media. So for example, um, before two summers ago, the most I've ever, the most times I've seen, I've paid to see a movie in theaters was twice. You know, I went to see Avengers twice, went to see The Dark Knight Rises twice, not because I liked it, but because the second time I took, I took a girl I was dating. And then two summers ago, Crazy Rich Asians came out. And I knew, oh snap! Yeah, I knew how important it was that that movie do well. In yeah. fact, um, uh, even before that movie came out, I, um, I, for those of you who know um, Wong Fu Productions on YouTube, mm-hmm. you know I've been watching their clips for a long time. Um, as soon as they came out with their Patreon um, options, I would I knew right away I had to support them. Mm-hmm. So I, I was like a, a care holder from day one at um, at the silver level. Only reason why I'm not the gold level was because it wasn't in my budget at the time. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, Vancouver's expensive. It is. You know, can't yeah. afford that now. Maybe down the road. And I attended one of their uh, Vancouver uh, shows, and like uh, Phil uh, was on stage saying that um, right now there are four Asian American projects uh, in the works. And whether or not they get greenlit all depends on how well Crazy Rich Asians does. So he wow. was straight up um, clearly saying that we need Crazy Rich Asians to do well if we want to see more uh, Asians, of, Asian, yeah. more of our stories, you know, mm. of our representation, you know, out there. And um, uh, like a few days later, I, I sent him a DM in, through Instagram asking him, a few days or a few months later, asking him, uh, what those four projects were and, and if, you know, so-and-so was one of them. And he has yet to reply to me. I guess he's a busy guy, but um, yeah, he hasn't replied. <laughs> but anyway, so I was adamant that um, to support Crazy Rich Asians. So yeah. I paid to see Crazy Rich Asians. Twice. Not once, not twice. Oh, my God. Not three times, not four times, uh, not five times. Oh, my God. Not six times. But seven times. Did you actually watch it every single time? Every single time. You watched the whole... So you know the movie in and out. Oh, yes. And every single time I went with a different group of friends. Mm. And it, orig- it would have been nine times. But two of those groups, we just couldn't get things to line up. Or they were just so busy. Um, like Because by that time, like these were like my very, very, very much, much older friends. So they're like married with kids. Oh, like um, they're really busy. Yeah, so they're yeah. really busy. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. They're mm-hmm. really, really busy. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so seven times I paid to see that movie. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Twice crazy. in the opening weekend because I wanted to give it like um, like the, the hashtag that was trending was uh, hashtag Gold Open. I wanted oh, to give wow. it the to, for it to open at number one. I'm like I'm, I knew I was going to see it a lot of times, but I got to see it at least more than once in the opening weekend. So just um, just about the movie itself, did you enjoy it? I loved it. I loved it a lot. Well, um, what did you like about it? Because I watched it and I didn't really like it. Like, I'm glad Asians are being represented yeah. in media, but I actually thought the storyline wasn't great. It was kind of boring. The acting so, was very mediocre. Yeah, so about the storyline. <laughs> so, for example, um, like the, the point I like to bring up is there's a scene in early on in that movie where the main character, Rachel, um, is about to go to Singapore to meet her, her boyfriend's family. Is this when she's buying the dress? Yeah. yeah. When, and she, she recruits her mom to help her pick out a dress, mm-hmm. right? 
And this is early on in the movie, so she's still so not, like her mom's warning her like, oh, you have to be careful around these overseas uh, Chinese. They're, they're, they're not like us. Yeah, you know. Totally. And she's this early on, she's so she's still so naive. She's like, oh, come on, they're Chinese. I'm Chinese. And then the mom says to her, um, in in Chinese, I'm not Chinese, so I, I had no, I didn't know if it was Mandarin, Cantonese. I'm assuming Mandarin because I don't think Cantonese would have. Actually, I, don't I know, think I'm it's Mandarin. Mandarin. Yeah. Right. So the mom says to her in Mandarin, and it's subtitled. You know. Um, uh, points. Um, she says, "Your." Um, what she said to her, "You, your face is Chinese," and then says to her again, also in Chinese subtitles, "You speak Chinese." Then, then she points to her head and says in Chinese, "But here," and then points to her heart and then says again in Chinese, "And here," and then she switches to English, which is really fucking relevant. She says, "You are different." Yeah. Yeah. So, and as soon as I saw that the first time in theater, I was like. Holy shit! That is my story. When I was a young boy, uh, elementary, young elementary school, probably kindergarten, first grade, I don't remember. My mom said to me, very pointedly, and she had reason to say this to me. She said to me very pointedly. She said, "The white people will never accept you as Canadian. Your face is Asian, and if you lose your Vietnamese roots, then the Vietnamese people will not see you as Vietnamese." You will be like a ghost lost between two worlds. She said that to you. She said that to me. And those Holy of you shit. out there who are Asian know that um, to use the term "ghost" in in Asian language has carries a lot of weight. So did she say "ma" or what did she say? How did she say "ghost" in Vietnamese? Oh, I remember. Because like, I know in Chinese we say like "guailo," but that's what we used to call white yeah, that's person. Chinese guailo. Yeah. So no, like but it was in, like. Um, she either said Madoi Makgakure, which would mean hungry ghost um, lost your roots. Oh. But, or she might have said that and added, I remember she said something which I understood as lost between two words, but they were words that I didn't use on a regular basis, so I never right, committed right, right. them to memory. But it was clear that she meant, you know, yeah. you're lost between two worlds. Wow, your mom is freaking intelligent, man, for saying that. Can I ask how old you were at the time when she said that? Anywhere between five and six. Seven, maybe as old as Holy, eight, but probably not. So young. Not eight. She like didn't. She didn't wait to tell you that. Hey? No, she had reason. She had. So I'd all. Um, I'd always been very argumentative. Um, okay. You know that's. Um, I think it's because you're an only child, so like your parents have time to argue with you. I, I think <laughs> it's my personality. Like, because here's the thing. Like, like my like um when I was explaining to uh, my close friend why I didn't want to have kids and the, the whole nature nurture thing and 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 he would say oh but you, you can teach your kids you can raise your kid and he uh, you know he's my my one of my best friends growing up so he knows me very well he's like I'm saying to him like look man you you know how I am and you know the family I grew up in and you know how I was raised so tell me who taught me to be so argumentative from such a young age who taught me to talk back with elders from such a young age mm-hmm. who taught me to challenge and question authority from such a young age and, you know, and he, he knew full well that I wasn't taught any of that. It was my personality. So mm. there's that. So, yeah, no, my mom had reason to. Um, I, I think it was, I was just like, she was, as a kid, my parents obviously wanted to pass their culture on to me. And I didn't object to that. But I just took issue with how it was done. It, was, it just wasn't fun. You know, like, like I didn't have anything against learning how to read Vietnamese. Um, in fact, now I would love for my reading of Vietnamese to be better mm-hmm. and, that, and my writing of Vietnamese to be better. Um, and, I, you know, and I am working on it. Um, but at the time, just the way they did, like, you know, like Asian teaching styles versus 
you know, what I was used to growing up over in here. Canada, yeah. You know, I'm like, this is boring. I don't like this. You know, rote, re- re- repetition, rote. Nope, I don't. This it, is not how I want to learn. In Vietnam, when they teach kids how to write, they actually hold the kid's hand. Oh, God. Like, the teacher will hold the kid's hand and, like, yeah. move the kid's hand. Whereas, like, in Canada, that would never, ever happen. Mm, right? Yeah. Not with, except for without extenuating circumstances. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But in Vietnam, that was so normal. And if you actually, like, your parents' writing, I'm sure if you see them, they all write in cursive. And their writing is very similar because they all learn to write in the exact same way. My mom's writing is nice. My dad's writing isn't nice because... Um, he is supposed to be left-handed, and oh, okay, okay. Uh, of his generation, um, and even the generation of my some of my younger cousins, um, this was before they realized. So, uh, traditionally um, in Vietnam and maybe some other Asian cultures as well, I don't know, but definitely in Vietnam, uh, left-handedness wasn't well understood, and mm-hmm. it was kind of stigmatized. Um, so, uh, and you know, traditional Asian parenting isn't the, uh, doesn't typically tend to be the most enlightened. Um, so straight up, he was just beaten every time he uh, used his left hand. Oh, so no. he had to use his right hand. Um, so his his penmanship isn't the best, but you know what? Probably still better than mine. Like my, my penmanship sucks, and I don't think I have any excuse for. I it think other that's than a Canadian thing. I don't, very rarely do I meet Canadians with nice penmanship because yeah. it's not a, a thing. Maybe. I don't yeah, know. yeah. <laughs> I remember the first time I went to visit Vietnam. Like my, uh, I was a teen. I was a long haired teenager, and my some of my cousins, my uh, younger cousins, they're probably like, you know eight or nine at the time, were. were were writing, and I think that he was using his left hand, and his mom said, no, 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 don't use your left hand, use your right hand. Fortunately, she wasn't, um, she didn't scold him or yell at him or beat him, but she's strongly discouraged it, and that's when I jumped in, like, no, 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 and I, I told them all about left hand, and there's nothing wrong with left-handedness, it just means that your right brain is dominant, because if your left brain is dominant, then you're right-handed, but if your right brain is dominant, your left hand is totally okay. You know, I don't know if she, it fully sunk in, she kind of gave me a uh, this look uh, as as in I don't fully get what you're saying. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, this is witchcraft. What are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but no. So crazy rich Asians. So I, I I love that. That was I'm like wow. That is my story. I have never seen my story in a mainstream Hollywood movie before ever. That's true. You yeah. know. And then even later on, like when um when the main character Nick and his best friend um oh I forgot I forgot his best friend. Pri- played by Chris Pang, uh, they're sitting on the water and um, his best friend is just like trying to make him aware of what he and Rachel are getting themselves into as in, you know, like, like it's just two two bros like um, looking out for each other, giving advice. And I'm like, hey, that's that's kind of my life, like, and which I've never seen. It's like how often have um, throughout my life have like me and my closest uh, bros like, like, you know, like, um, hide each other's back or like try to try to give each other advice or like be a sounding board for each other trying to figure out trying to just figure out our lives you know it's like yeah throughout my life like I, we've done that and I've never seen that represented on screen in the sense of like you know people who look like us and and not even just that but just like, like even when they first arrive in Singapore like they're, they're eating at the hawkers market and they're having fun they're chilling and and here's the thing like they're just being themselves like there's no token white guy um, explaining everything and there's no oh, oh this is what we do and this is why we do it uh, this you know it's just they just do it like they, they just, just be themselves they just, exist. they just exist like there's no explaining to like a non-Asian audience oh uh, this is who we are this is why and, and, and in my country this is how things are no right. it's just there right yeah in your face and yeah just... and that was just amazing 
Yeah, no, I, I, it, it's really cool to hear how Crazy Rich Asians has affected like you personally and and just overall like Asian Americans in media because I feel like yeah you're right we totally don't get that kind of representation so I think that that's really great and now um have you seen the new one the farewell with Aquafina Yeah, I saw the farewell. Um, amazing, and I yeah, was I, just, I like that one. I was I'm like okay. Anytime someone says Aquafina can't act or they doubt her acting ability, I tell them to watch The Farewell. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, she was amazing. And it's hilarious because I, I never thought I would enjoy movies so much where I so strongly disagree with one of the main me- messages in the movie. So, you know, Aquafina was kind of like, um, so she's like a, a very Americanized, you know, Chinese person. From New York. You know, yeah. from New York. So Americanized values, right? And then she goes over to her family and they have to remind her that, you know what, traditional Asian values are different. Like the uncle even says to her straight up, says, you know, in, in, the, in America, in the West, you view your life as your own. Over here, we view our lives as part of a greater whole. You know, so I loved how that was communicated in the sense that it wasn't say look one's better than the other it's like look it's different like it, there was no I didn't get a sense that it was a straight up value judgment but mm-hmm. it was a communication of this these are the difference of values and you have to figure out how you're going to navigate that you know because she was like I, I was totally on her side I'm like y- you know what like if it were me and my family kept something like this for me I would be pissed yeah. Um, my mom, I found my mom just recently watched it on, on a plane and she completely agrees with, uh, with the other side. Oh, the um, Asian parents. Yeah. 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 And I'm like, okay, mom, if that's how you want it, then that is for you. It is not for me. And I would never want anything like that for me. But, um, uh, I was surprised that Aquafina's character ends up, um, um, buying in and, um, collaborating and participating in the deception mm-hmm. um, did not expect that but I didn't dislike that I was surprised but I didn't dislike it I'm like okay didn't see this um, but you know it was just nice to see that it, I guess it's nice to have a movie that shows two opposing values and that even though I strongly prefer one side over the other it doesn't really shit on one set of values versus the other it says you know what these are two different values they are not compatible with one another make of it what you will you know, mm-hmm. some people mm-hmm. are going to choose one. Some people are going to choose another. Some people are going to struggle to navigate. You know, and that's the story of, of any Asian kid growing up in the West knows of, you know, of walking that fine line, that tightrope between two worlds. Like, you know, at home, you're Asian. Outside the home, you're usually not Asian. Yeah, Outside the home totally. with family and family friends, you're mostly Asian. Unless you're sitting at the, the table with all the other kids, then mm-hmm. then you can be Asian-Canadian. It's this yeah. navigating of like I, different identities and conflicting identities different and conflicting values. and the kind of space you occupy in society. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's crazy. Oh, my gosh. Koi, we, we talked a lot about like Asian representation in media, and I think this was like very in-depth Right, I don't think yeah. I've ever gotten this in depth about it with anybody. No, wow. Well, yeah. we we can definitely do more sometimes. Yeah, no, definitely. I would love to talk about like Asian masculinity, like in the future. Absolutely, because I, 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 like... <laughs> I promise. I promise. Okay. I will talk about yes. that. Sweet. Um. Yeah. No, because I think that's a really interesting topic. But thank you so much for coming on my podcast. Oh, hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um. Thank you everyone for listening, and I'll see everyone on the next episode. Bye. Ask the poutine. Ask the poutine.